Hi, I'm Ashley Cooley, a birth baby and sleep specialist and mom of three. There's so much information out there, right? This show is dedicated to helping you clear out the noise so you can figure out what will work best for your baby and your family. If you're looking to learn more about your baby, gain more confidence in your parenting, and get as much sleep as you can through it all, you've come to the right place. Bringing up baby is about to get a little easier. What I'm bringing to you today is a little yet big discussion on infertility. I know this doesn't seem like the typical thing you'd find on a podcast called Bringing Up Baby, but I know there are a lot of you out there who, like me, struggle to start or grow their family. Whether or not you have, I can almost guarantee that you know someone that has or maybe is currently and you might not even know it. My husband and I got into that trying but not trying phase for a little while shortly after we got married, but then after a little while, I think about six months or so, we kind of realized like, oh, we really want this and it hasn't happened yet, so what's up with that? Um, I, I was kind of, I have to admit, I was kind of one of those people that always had in the back of my mind that like I feel like this isn't gonna be easy for me and I maybe that came from just how my cycles were growing up and whatnot anyway we don't need to go way back there but just to say we struggled for a few years to start our family and it it in the end you know we're very fortunate to have these three girls and while it both scares and excites me to watch them grow up it's not lost on me that it's an absolute privilege to get to do so. I know many women who've struggled to have a baby as well. Some I've known for years and others are new friends. One such friend is the lovely Jessica Palmquist of Turquoise Compass Wellness. She's a doula living in Halifax, Nova Scotia but she's invested in helping families all over Canada along their journey through infertility. So I'd really love for you to get to meet her. And here's our conversation. Hi, Jessica. So nice to see you. I'm really happy that you're getting to join me today to talk about such a really important topic that's near and dear to my heart. And I know it is to yours. So we're talking about infertility. And I would love it if you wouldn't mind starting telling us about yourself and maybe sharing a bit of your story. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So for myself, this obviously is a very important topic where our own family experienced some fertility challenges when we were trying to grow our family. And we were married in 2015. And the first year of our marriage, we were casually open to, you know, having a child, stopped using contraception, and we're kind of like, if it happens, it happens. But weren't actively trying, but we're kind of trying. And then the second year, we're like, okay, it hasn't happened yet. Maybe we should start, you know, taking a little bit more um, control and trying to make this happen. So we started doing cycle charting for myself and trying to figure out when ovulation was and then timing intercourse around the optimal fertility window around ovulation. And then we were doing that for a year. We're still pretty, we're like enjoying being newlyweds and um, enjoying that time together as a couple. We're really hoping to grow our family, but wasn't putting too much pressure on ourselves. But after the second year of not conceiving, started to wonder what's going on. 
like it's been two years now of unprotected intercourse and it's not it's not happening. So the third year started to seek medical support. And I started to meet with um, doctors to get some tests, tests done to figure out, you know, is there something going on that we don't know about? And what we very soon realized was the wait list to see someone about fertility was so long. Mm. At the time, we just recently um, had moved to Nova Scotia. And I didn't even have a family doctor at the time. And how I found one was going to a clinic to get a pap test as like the starting conversation to figure out, okay, let's get a pap done. Let's see what's going on. I hadn't had one in a couple of years. I knew there wasn't anything that was of concern, you know, in the last couple of years, but wanted an update. And at my appointment had mentioned to the clinic physician, I don't have a family doctor. And luckily they took me on. And so I got really lucky in that way that at the PAP appointment, I ended up with a doctor who then started that investigation. So they, you know, did some preliminary blood work and then we had to wait for the test results, probably like, you know, months. Test results came back inconclusive. We don't really see anything going on. Let's, you know, let's do an ultrasound. That took at least six months for the ultrasound appointment to happen had the ultrasound everything looked fine so they're like you know what let's refer you to a gynecologist and that took months to get in to the gynecologist (laughs) i hate to to interrupt because this is a fascinating story yeah but like how how would that have made you feel I, i know for me like when we were struggling and we were going through tests and then things were coming back saying like you almost wanted to say something so that we can now okay let's let's solve this problem. But then when you get the results back of like, oh, it seems like everything's fine. Like that, did that make you feel any time away or what was going through your mind at the time? It was frustrating. Um, The fear of the unknown. Yeah. Like the worst possible thoughts go to your mind because you're thinking, well, something has to be wrong. They're going to find something. So you're, you're then thinking that something is wrong when there might not be something wrong, but your mind of course goes to the worst possible scenario. And so in the time of waiting, we're like, okay, let's, let's like, you know, do what we can on our part while we're waiting for these tests. So we were, you know, taking supplements, we were having a really healthy balanced lifestyle, hydration, sleep, exercise, like doing all the things they say to do, Mm. but just frustrated with the medical system. And at that time, not knowing, I didn't know this at the time that you could self-refer to private clinics and only found that out much later in our journey. So it was just, yeah, that lack of knowing and frustration and a little bit of loneliness too, when you're seeing all of your friends, you know, conceive and grow their families. And you're like, why isn't it happening for us? So a little bit of that kind of loneliness and you're on your own type of feelings as well. When I finally got into the gynecologist, I was sent for an HSG, a hysterosalopinogram, which is a procedure where they put ink in through the fallopian tubes and do x-rays at the same time to see, you know, is there a blockage in the fallopian tube? Are they seeing any type of fibroids or any type of things going on? And then that was fine. Everything was perfectly working. So again, another frustration of, okay, now we're almost to 
you know, pushing three and a half years and we're getting no answers and really, really frustrated at that point. Of course, the wait for our urologist to have any type of male samples done was a two year wait in Nova Scotia at the time. And so my husband actually did some tests in Toronto because we were able to get in with a couple months. So we were again, you know, taking control of our fertility and seeking out resources within Canada where we could seek assistance immediately. Mm. And, you know, frustrated that we had to go to Toronto for him to also do some invest investigations on his part to see what was going on did in that he, way. Did you have a family doctor? Do you feel like it was that maybe part of it or? It- well, the family doctor who initially took me on kind of took him on as well. But as you know, about the medical system, that doctor left the practice. And then we received a new doctor, that doctor left, we received a new doctor, that doctor left, and we ended up with a new one. And then we just found out this year that that doctor's leaving and we were again, shuffled. So again, like just the inconsistency of who's supporting us. Mm. Um, Luckily, the gynecologist actually did an appointment with my husband and I and they were also trying to get him in to see a urologist. I was actively calling the office weekly saying, are there any last minute cancellations? Hi, I'm calling again. Can we get in? And it just wasn't happening. So we, yeah, ended up having to look at other provinces to see if we could get some care for our family. My goodness. So how, how have, well, I I know how things have gone, (laughs) where did things kind of make a a turn for you for like where you're finally? Yeah. So long story short in the fourth year of our journey, we were just like, okay, now, not that we necessarily wasted four years, but that four years are now gone and age starting to be a conversation of, you know, we're in our mid thirties now, which is still an optimal time to have a family, but then worrying about what's going to happen when we get some answers and do some investigations at mid at mid thirties. So we actually finally self-referred to the Atlantic Assistive Reproductive Therapies Clinic here in Halifax, which I found out later through seeking out support groups and talking to other people going through fertility that you actually can self-refer. We were actually referred by the gynecologist, but I wasn't getting a call back. It had been months. So I started calling the clinic um, probably bi-weekly to say, you know, I'm looking for any last minute cancellations. I was referred. I would also like to self-refer myself. This is really important to me. And we were able to get in eventually within a couple months. And I know the wait list tends to be eight months to two years, depending on the situation. However, they do end up with last minute cancellations. They often can't fill because they do have clients from all over Atlantic Canada. So with the last minute appointment, they might not be able to say, you know, fill it with someone ahead of me that's from Newfoundland or PEI, but where I'm local with a last minute appointment, I was able to get in. Okay. So you know, I just, we were very much like, what can we do? You know, our results were inconclusive. It's called unexplained infertility, meaning there's not necessarily anything specifically wrong or going on, but you know, you, you have 
the potential is what they kept telling me to conceive, but then because it hadn't happened, they were giving us, you know, the statistics of 20 to 30%. So they said your best chance because you're healthy and it doesn't look like there's something specifically wrong is just jump right to IVF. I think you'll be really good, successful candidates instead of wasting your time and money trying IUI, which is, you know, interuterine um, insemination. And then doing that a few times. And then again, another year or another two goes. And so they just thought, you know what, we feel really confident that if you jump right into IVF, that it'll be successful for you. So this was the fall of uh, 2018. So in January of 2019, I started IVF and was pregnant for my first round and a fresh cycle, which is great because they gave, you know, they give you a 50, 50% chance of it working or not. But it is a little unheard of that, you know, the first round of trying and then the first transfer, especially of a fresh after your body's done so much work stimulating the the ovaries, it worked. We were really in shock. Of course, we wanted it and we're doing everything on our side to create an optimal environment for success, but we're so happy and blessed that it did work. Mm, Yeah. Amazing. And, uh, but like you said, for a lot of families, it's it's more on the rare side for that to happen. So for a lot of families, the first round doesn't work. So you're probably preparing yourself for that possibility. And then that could be a journey in and of itself. I mean, it is, it it already was, and it's still quite a journey. So that, I, I mean, we both have stories of infertility that I, and I'm hearing a lot of similarities, but of course differences and everyone has their own experiences with it what, how, what are the ways that someone can be affected by infertility? Because for yourself and for myself, it was primarily struggling. Well, at first for, for myself, it was struggling with my first child and that taking years. And there was first the unexplained infertility diagnosis, air quotes, where things seemed to be going fine. And then it seemed that I was only ovulating like once in a blue moon, I kind of feel like I have a bum ovary and a pretty good one and they, they don't talk to each other, but uh, you know, I'm laughing now, but at the time it was, it was confusing and struggling. And, and so I've since learned so much more about infertility and how people can be affected by it. And since sharing my story with friends, with people, that's, I find they've been able to share with me about their own stories, which like yours is different, but um, still uh, in the same vein. So that's why I love this conversation that we're having today is to talk more about this to so that there is support and information. So anyway, I'm going back, but getting back to what I was mentioning earlier, what are the ways that someone or anyone can be affected by infertility? Because it's not always just that first time you're trying, yeah. baby, right? Yeah, there's it's it's huge. I mean, we now know that this is a medical diagnosis, especially if you've experienced fertility challenges, but a lot of people don't realize that. So they think you, you get a lot of um, unhelpful comments, which can be frustrating from people who are wanting to support you, but then those comments aren't necessarily supportive. So you get that. So the misunderstandings is what, what I'm getting at where they don't understand because they haven't either gone through it or they don't know. 
And there were a lot of misconceptions about, about that. So that's frustrating feeling isolated. So then not knowing who else is sort of relating or going through it. You feel alone. You feel that when you finally do reach out and share that you're receiving those unhelpful comments or judgment or the assumptions that you're doing something wrong or there's something wrong with you. And then you're just feeling alone and lost and frustrated. And then like that, don't stress. <laughs> and if you yeah. stop worrying about it, if you stop trying that that's when it'll happen right. as if none yeah. of us have heard that before. <laughs> exactly. Where we, we now know as more, more information and knowledge is coming to light about infertility, that it is a medical condition, diagnosed medical condition. So people are learning and I'm, you know, now took it on myself to become knowledgeable in the area of fertility to then educate people about their own fertility to share my story like you said when I started opening up I started to realize there were other people also going through their own fertility journey that I didn't even know they were going through it they didn't know I was going through it and in the beginning I I didn't want to open up about it I kind of wanted to you know have that big surprise that I'm pregnant and then you know, after two or three years, people are asking, well, when are you going to have kids? Like Mm. you're getting older, like don't wait forever. You're going to miss the train. And they're saying these things to me, not knowing what we're going through. So then, you know, I, I thought I should probably start telling people because they're saying these things and they don't even realize that we are trying and it's not working. Yeah. And if they knew that maybe then they'd you know, change the tune. So I think maybe they thought we weren't trying or we were just wanting to push it off until later in life, but we were trying. And then it, it takes bravery to be able to share something so personal and intimate, because I know when we first started getting these results, I would say two years after trying, at that time, I'm like, well, IVF like is off the table. I will never do IVF. It's not going to happen. If we're not meant to have kids, we won't. But then, you know, after two years, after that point, you start to become more open-minded about, well, if we want to have kids, then that might be an option for us. Mm. And so then we started to explore what isn't. Of course, there's fear there, like fear associated with, well, what is it? What it's so invasive. What am I going to have to do to my body? And so there was fear and there was anxiety, but I think learning about the process and realizing that with medical assistance, we can grow our family, which was really exciting to me that there are these medical procedures out there that allow families to grow, which is just amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So When it comes to, I like to bring this up because I've come across a few people in my life who are experiencing this or have experienced this and it, it surprises a lot of people. So sometimes families, they try, they want to grow their family. They want to start a family. They have a baby. Things seem to go pretty smoothly, but then trying for number two or number three, and now they're starting to struggle or notice that, Hey, how come this isn't? as easy as the first time. Uh, do you, you must come across that. I'm sure the people you work with, and I'm, I'm curious, are there any differences there in terms of 
well, I can assume, but like how that would feel to somebody when this quote unquote worked before now it's not yeah. just the mindset of where that can all go. Absolutely. So what you're speaking of is called secondary infertility where, you know, a family didn't have any difficulties conceiving the first time they go to have a second or third or fourth and are then experiencing challenges. And it is infertility. Like a lot of people will assume, well, you had a kid once, of course you can have a kid again, but it is, it is a medical thing where it can sometimes happen. And they're just as in shock as maybe I was in the beginning when they're trying for their second as I was in their first, they're scared. They're, you know, not knowing what's going on, the fear of the unknown. They're, you know, hesitant to share because again, the comments that they're receiving might not be helpful in their journey. And it's just as difficult for sure. Mm-hmm. And they're, and they're knowing maybe even more difficult in some ways, knowing that they could, and that now they can't for some unexplained or explained reason. Like sometimes things happen through um, health history or accidents or just unexplained that now they're having a hard time. Mm. I, I, yeah, regardless of how someone might experience infertility, I know it's, it's a struggle and you can blame yourself and feel guilty and think that you did something wrong. Like they're so impractical and things that any loved one would say to you, of course, this is not your fault. Yeah. I I find we all, we tend to go there. And so again, having these conversations are really, really important. You you touched on this a little bit and I, I wonder if we could dive into a little bit deeper before we wrap things up is how how can someone supporting a loved one of someone going through infertility, whether it's the partner who's of course also in that together, they're in that together, but whether it's a partner, a friend, a family member, if someone is sharing their story or you do find out that someone is struggling and you want to support them, what are the things they can say or maybe shouldn't say or do or not do? What What's your advice on that? Yeah, I would say that first and foremost, listen, because the majority of the time people just want to share without judgment and maybe without comment what's going on. So just to be a listening ear, an emotional support person is what, what we're looking for. And then also to be asked, what can we do or how can I help? Because then it puts onus back on the person going through the journey to then share what it is that they need, because it's different for everyone. And then they can be specific about here's what I need, or here are the things that would be helpful to me, the comments that would be helpful to me, and here's how you could support me. So I think that's a really great question. So what, what can I do? How can I help? Sending a card in the mail, a thinking of you card, just knowing that you're, you're thought of and that someone's thinking of you is a great gesture. If someone's, say, going through fertility treatment, sending like a food box or a food delivery service is a really great thing that you could do to support someone going through infertility treatment, because you know, there's that financial burden, but also the time burden as well and investment. So I think that's, that's really great. It's really as simple as that, because once the conversation's opened and, and they're asking, what can I do and how can I help? And what do you need? Then it's very clear what it is that they need. I love that you mentioned that ask the person, because I think some of us are very quick to want to help and so, oh, I know how to help and I'll I'll say this or I'll do this, but like you said, everybody's different and they may not want that or need that even just at that time. 
Yeah. And of course they want to help. I mean, any, anything that they're saying is coming from a place of wanting to help. It might not be helpful to that person. So that's why it's good to ask, you know, what would be helpful so that they know exactly what to do or what to, what type of service to provide or, or to ask specifically, like, you know, I went through my own fertility journey. Would it be helpful if I shared that with you Mm. and allowing the person to say, you know what? Yes. Yes. I want to hear your story or actually right now. No, because, you know, I, you know, I've heard so many stories and I'm getting in my own head about, well, that happened to me. So maybe not right now. So just asking them if if they have an idea of something they think might be helpful, just ask them before providing that. Would it be helpful if I did this or said this? And maybe that person could say not right now or not yet or yes or no. Mm, I love that. So, I, I mean, I think it's the point is that you don't have to know what to say. Yeah. <laughs> to do. No. There isn't like a script, but it's meeting that person where they're at in the moment, listening, and maybe that's all they need, but that is a lot. That's yeah. It. And I guess the other, the other comment that goes a long way is just saying, I'm hearing you. Mm. I hear what you're saying. I'm here for you. Mm-hmm. So big. That's yeah, huge. I know you're there as well for a lot of families who are going through this journey. I wonder if you uh, wouldn't mind sharing with us your role as a, a doula and what how you might help someone and support people who are going through these struggles. This, this sure, yeah. So going through this when I went through it, I knew obviously at the time very little and felt alone and frustrated, and then thought to myself, there has to be a better way. <laughs> there has to be a better way, like someone I could talk to. And then I realized that there, there is a better way that there are programs out there that train people to support people through fertility. And it's a fertility doula. So I myself became trained as a fertility birth and postpartum doula to support people through their own journey and to have the support I didn't have at the time. And so, yeah, I provide emotional support and then the evidence-based information about fertility and then physical support as well. If, you know, they need someone to support them at home with childcare while they're doing their injections or they're needing a virtual um, session where they're needing to know the process of IVF or how to advocate for themselves with the medical system. And then I support them with step-by-step ways to, you know, self-refer and advocacy. Here are some support groups you can access. Here are some really great practitioners in our area that work in fertility and just educating them about the process. Wow. Well, I, I wish we were doing this <laughs> 10, 11 years ago, because for someone who doesn't know someone who's also going through, I find if you, if you happen to know somebody else, who's also going to struggle, like I, I reached out to people that were friends or acquaintances or friends of friends, like, Hey, I heard you're having struggles too. And you want to chat. Cause I was just looking for that connection. So it's so wonderful that not only can people find that with you, but just the added bonus of 
the resources and you've been through it and you know how to navigate this and help support them on their journey while some, you know, someone that they can talk to. That's, that's wonderful. So how can somebody find you and get in touch with you for that? Right. So I'm on Instagram and Facebook as turquoise compass wellness. And I'm a huge advocate for believing the right person for the right family. So if I'm not the right person, because I do offer free consultations and if I'm not the right person for someone, then I will refer people out to other people as well to make sure that you're working with a person that aligns with your personality style and the support that you need. And then maybe, maybe it's only one session that you need from me because what you're more looking for are support groups or practitioners that work in fertility. And maybe one session is all you need to get that information and access that. And then I'm, you know, happily work towards that. So it's, there's no time commitment, really. It's like whatever someone needs. And then we create that package for them. It's like a la carte, like all you need is tech support. Then we set that up. Or if you just need emailed resources or you need monthly sessions or you need like whatever you need, we, we create it or I find it for them. If I can't provide that service. Fantastic. I mean, like, like we've been saying this whole time, it's not a one size fits all (laughs) and what works for one doesn't work for another. So it's wonderful. You can be flexible and refer out. I mean, I, I, I would do the same thing. It's important to be able to have that conversation. If you're working with someone with, especially in such intimate detail uh, and an intimate part of your life that, you know, you want to have some kind of connection with them. Absolutely. Jessica, this has been an amazing conversation. I really appreciate your time and honesty and vulnerability and sharing your story. And I think that would encourage others to do that, I hope. And the wonderful ideas that you've given us for how to support someone going through, I think that'll go a long way. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy that we could connect and talk about something so important, fertility. Looking for more? Check out birthbabysleep.ca where you'll find prenatal classes, postpartum and new baby resources, and sleep support during the childhood years. You'll also find me on Facebook and Instagram at birthbabysleep. It would be awesome if you followed us wherever you listen to podcasts, and if you can, leave a review or a rating, which goes a long way for helping others to find us. That's all for now. I'm Ashley Cooley, and we'll see you back here next time.